So we are continuing the work in Amos. And um, we saw in the first sermon, Amos is a, is a, it's a book of judgment. It's one of the prophets, but it concludes with this extremely hopeful promise that um, the king is coming, the promised king from Genesis chapter 3, the, the child who would be born of woman, who would destroy um, the serpent and destroy death and destroy corruption and would bring, uh, wipe away the toil of our work and the suffering in our marriages. And that, that promise unfolds throughout all of Scripture. And we know that eventually that this child is going to be a, a king from the line of David who was the first very powerful and, and successful king of the nation of Israel. And God reveals to him that it would be a, a king from his family and that this king would, would rule over the nations forever and establish peace and security and prosperity for Israel forever. And so we see here at the end of the book of Amos this promise of prosperity and how this, this promise of prosperity, material prosperity, Food and wine that we would have so much, we would have so much more of these things that we wouldn't know what to do with it. We'd be throwing away the old food while we brought in the new. And so this idea of an, of an overwhelming abundance of material prosperity is the means through which God was motivating his people to follow him. And so we've looked at this concept of, of delighting in material prosperity as a good thing. And uh, as we've gone, we're on our fourth message on this today, um, and as we've gone through this, there has been freedom. Some of you have been experiencing freedom because of the traditions that you've grown up with, within the, within the context of, of conservative Christianity, that has this kind of this disdain or this suspicion of material prosperity. And, and that the ideals of minimalism and frugality are equal to godliness. And there is nothing wrong with simplicity and minimalism and frugality, if that is your choice, okay? But overwhelmingly, the scriptures provide an image of material prosperity that is a motivation for his people to follow him. Now, for those of you that are guests today, you all, this may start sounding like a prosperity gospel sermon. Um, rest assured, we, we are not preaching a gospel of prosperity, which means that if you are faithful to follow God, you will all be rich, Okay. So there are nuances, and we talked about this in the, in the first and second sermon. There are nuances, okay? There's, it's, a, it's a simplistic understanding uh, to think that those who follow God are all going to be rich, okay? Just as it's a simplistic understanding for, uh, to, to have an idea that um, poverty and, and and minimalism and frugality are ideally what God wants too, okay? There are truths on both sides, okay? There are truths to both sides. Sacrifice is good. Generosity to the poor and those who are in need are good. Um, sharing what you have with others, obviously. So what we're trying to do is develop this understanding that Amos is really um, talking a lot about and speaking a lot about, about how to how to think about material prosperity in a, in a righteous way. Because Israel 
was judged. Okay, some, these are some of the strongest words that God has for us through the prophet Amos. These words that John read today. So judgment came to Israel because of their greed and of, the, of their oppression of people that supported their greed. And so while prosperity, material prosperity and material abundance is a good thing and that God uses these things to motivate us as they are from him. They are from him. He has created us to be fleshly beings, to enjoy fleshly material things. All right? And, and as we're going to see here today, he, God as creator of all things, of all created fleshly material things that we can see and enjoy, God as creator is the beginning of what it means to know and to worship God, to have received from him the things that he has has created. But, just as Paul warns us in Romans chapter 1, if we don't receive what he has created by honoring him and giving thanks, we start worshiping what, his, what he has created. And we turn, turn the things that he has created uh, into corrupt and oppressive and idolatrous things. And so, Last week, I introduced this, uh, this chart. I call it, I I've tweaked it a little bit from last week. I, I, I call it the circle of material delight. It begins by receiving with humility. And what I mean by humility is that um, there is a recognition that what we enjoy and that what we possess is by the grace of God. Okay, whatever, whatever amounts you have, whether you are poor or rich or somewhere in between, everything that you have is a gift from God. Your capacities, your abilities, your mind, your talents, your work opportunities, your placement in time and in history and in geography, the gift from God. So we are to enjoy the things that God has given to us with gratitude. And because we approach the things that God has given us with humility and with gratitude, that energizes us to be generous to those around us who are in need. And this cycle, this circle fully represents how we have to think about and use our material possessions in order to fully enjoy them, in order to fully experience and be the image of God, and to experience His fullness. All right? It is a lie to think that happiness and enjoyment comes after step one. You receive Okay, it's not the whole circle. Possessing things does not bring happiness. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to answer this question. When is the enjoyment of material affluence indulgence? And when is it delight? When is it indulgence? And when is it delight? I think a few people have asked this question in our Q&A time. After, after the sermon. So we're going we're gonna to look at how Amos begins to address this question. 
When is the enjoyment of the material things that God has blessed us with indulgence or delight? Delight being a good thing, okay? Some, uh, some of you have um, reacted to my use of the term delight. The scriptures talk about delighting in the Lord and he will grant us the desires of our heart. Um, by delight, I just mean extreme enjoyment, okay? It, to experience happiness, all right? So God wants us to um, enjoy what he provides us with. He does not want us to become indulgent. So I'm gonna use the word indulgent as a, an immoral approach to material possessions. So the first passage John read, so I'm gonna bring it up here. I'm not gonna read it again. This is, I mean, here we have an example of the scriptures, <coughs> excuse me, um, calling a group of women cows. That's literally what, I mean, this is, and this is a quotation from God. This isn't, this is, this is Amos writing down what God specifically told him. You cows of Bashan. Now, he is not referring okay, in a crude way to their size or anything like that, all right? Bashan was one of the most um, plush and, and um, robust places to pasture cattle in Israel, all right? It would, it would be the prime pasture land. And so the cows that were there um, really enjoyed the finest that Israel had to offer in terms of water, in terms of food, okay? And so um, he's, he's wanting to strongly impress upon these people um, what, it, what, what they appear like to him. You cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. So the mountain of Samaria, so... We talked about in the first sermon, Israel, because of political divide and idolatry, had split into two, really two nations, Israel to the north and Judah to the south, and Samaria was the capital of Israel, all right? Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. And so here you have women that are living essentially on the, in the capital city in the most prominent place where all of the aristocracy lived. We're going to see that the corresponding passage that John read is speaking to the men. And so this passage refers to them as the husbands. And so these cows literally are the imagery of well-to-do women lounging in the most opulent place imaginable among the aristocracy. Among They are the ruling class. They are the economic and political elite of Israel. And they are noted for three things, which are integrated. The oppression of the poor and the crushing of the needy. Now, the women aren't leaving the mountain. But notice, on how, they, notice how they treat their husbands. They say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. And so they have this lifestyle that um, creates a dynamic and they have an attitude towards their husbands where they are literally ruling over their husbands and compelling them 
to serve them in their opulence. You see that? They're commanding their husbands, support us in our luxury. And the husbands are doing that. And the husbands are doing that to such extreme that whatever efforts, and we're going to get into this um, next week, we're going, to look at, we're going to look at the four indictments against Israel. And one of the four is the oppression of the poor. And so we're going to focus on that singularly. Um, but we can see here that whatever efforts they went about doing, these men to provide luxury for their wives was oppressive and crushing to the poor in Israel. And so the, 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 the women don't see the consequence of their lifestyle. They don't see the consequence of, of their ruling over their husbands. They don't see what's going on. They're on the mountain. They're not down in the streets. They're on the mountain. They're separated from the rest of the world. They're unaware of what is going on in the other classes. They oppress the poor. And here you can see, see this, so we start to see, when is material prosperity indulgence? When our material prosperity is gained on the backs of the less fortunate. They are experiencing luxury and prosperity because they're taking advantage of people. James says the th same thing in the New Testament. You are failing, you business owners and employers, you are failing to pay the wages your workers deserve. You are getting rich on the backs of the people that are working for you and you're oppressing them. That's a characteristic. What is the source of the material prosperity? And this creates, okay, sometimes poverty is the consequence of laziness, right? Sometimes poverty is the consequence, or, or, and being poor is the consequence of, of, of being refugees, coming from a place, fleeing from a place of disaster to a place of security, and the first generations don't have the assets built, or maybe even the language skills built, or the types of things needed to flourish in a community. So God said to treat the poor in an appropriate way, as if you were strangers, as you were immigrants. Okay, we saw that immigrants last week, we saw that immigrants left Egypt and joined Israel, knowing that Israel would prosper. And they wouldn't be able to own land like the Hebrews would, like the Israelites would, but they knew that they would prosper better than any other place because Israel was connected and prosperous because of God's blessing of them. All right, so there are always going to be uh, poor in the world. Jesus said the same thing. The poor you will always have with you. The poor you will always have with you. But how we as people uh, treat and honor the poor is going to be a part of the expression of what it means to enjoy material prosperity. We cannot enjoy material prosperity if we are gaining it on the backs of others. You see. So that's a characteristic. And we come to the next passage, Amos 6, 1 through 7. This is even more descriptive. I'm not going to read it again, but you see a few very important things. So again, these men, okay, these men, they are the notable men. All right, so these are the ruling classes. These are the, 
the elite of, of Israeli society. They are living also on the same mountain in the capital city. And they have a sense of security. See, they're looking out over the nations. And God mentions these nations, Kalna, Hamath, and Gath. See, these were, these were places that had been destroyed. And so, rather than looking upon these nations and thinking, wow, we might be destroyed as well because of our godlessness and immorality and lack of care for the poor. Rather than having a humble perspective, they would look upon these nations after being destroyed and they would say, hey, we're, we're fine, we're secure, we're good. And God says, are you any different? And another passage in Amos we didn't read, it says, Yes, I brought you out of Egypt, but didn't I bring these other two or three countries out of slavery as well? See, God is at work in our nations. God is at work in our governments and is working justice. We think it takes a long time. We can't see and know all things. But God is at work to bring justice to bear. And we will ultimately see it when Jesus returns. And so there's this arrogant sense of security that something bad will never happen to us. Okay? So there's this arrogance that leads to um, a, a lazy approach to life. They are sleeping on beds of ivory. They are stretching out on couches. Okay, so these are all very descriptive terms. They dine on the choice lambs and on fattened calves, which we call veal. Have, have any of you ever seen a veal operation? None of you have ever seen it. So if you don't know, and this is going to be an area of conscience, some of you would not approve of the eating of veal. I have friends that do not approve of the eating of veal. I love veal. But what it is, they... They breed young cattle to get fat, and, and they slaughter the young calves because the, the meat tastes better. And so you have these, this is what they are eating, the lambs, the calves, all right? And what, begins, what you begin to see is this desire for the things that are the best. They are strumming away on harps like David. They invent musical instruments. They drink wine by the bowlful. And they use, this is funny, they use the finest lotions. All right, so they're enjoying massages. All right, now, here's the thing, and it's important to see this. David is honored and exalted for what he could write in terms of songs and, his, and the musical instruments that he would invent. Right? So the problem here isn't singularly the fact that they are enjoying the finer things of life. That's not the problem. The problem comes when he says this, you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. 
You see throughout Scripture where um, being anointed with the finest oils, okay, and Proverbs is a, is a characteristic of having lived a wise life. Music, good food, massages, okay, these are all characteristic of this lifestyle. And they are not in and of themselves bad. It's bad when it is going along with an arrogance that believes that they are above the judgment of God. And there is an ignorance and really an ignoring of what's going on in the broader culture. Israel politically had been split. Israel and Judah at times were at war with each other. They were to be the unified people of God that he dwelled in as a picture of the wisdom and the power and the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God. And here they are, a divided people, warring against each other, worshiping idols, oppressing the poor, and ignorant of the troubles of the world. That was Israel's problem. So they could enjoy themselves, they could enjoy the material prosperity as if they were fully experiencing the blessings of God. And there, this, at this time, in Amos' time, uh, they did experience a significant amount of, of success. They regained a lot of the land that they had lost by battle when they started to disobey God. God blessed them. And he says, I'm not doing this because of your goodness. I'm doing this because of the promises I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he did indeed prosper Israel at this time. But they, didn't, they weren't humbled by the prosperity. They didn't acknowledge it from God. They just started enjoying it and then violating God's laws in how they were to enjoy it. They're enjoying the best, they're carefree, and they believe that life is found. All right? They've only come to one spot on that circle. They've received. They've received. Not with gratitude toward God and not with generosity to, towards others. And remember, this, this prophecy is coming two years before the earthquake. Two years before the... They have a season. They have a season. And in chapter 5, we didn't read these passages, but in chapter 5 you see the heart of the admonition that God gives Israel to, to change their direction. Perhaps if you repent and turn from these ways, I will change my mind and I will save you from this judgment that he will come. And so, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Chapter 5, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Amen. Amos 5, 6-9. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. 
Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And so when does delight in material prosperity become indulgence? When does it become indulgence? Well, I want to propose that it, it, it starts when we begin to worship what is created and not the Creator. He brings up the fact that he created the constellations as a reminder that it is God who set in the seasons, who established the sun and the moon and the earth and the planet and the stars and the universe. And it is him that controls the seasons. It is him that controls day and night. It is him that controls the waters. And so he's wanting to bring them back into a place where they recognize and acknowledge that everything that they have, everything that they enjoy is from him. Is from him. Romans chapter 1 says, people start to veer down the path of godlessness when just at the beginning of their experience of this world, they see all of the created things. And it says, they fail, they fail to see God's eternal power. In fact, they don't fail to see it. He says that creation is always expressing the eternal power and divine nature of God. And it is at that time that people have the choice. Do I acknowledge that everything that exists and everything that I I have and everything that I enjoy is from God and honor Him and give thanks? That's what it says, to honor Him and give thanks. Or do I reject that and I then take the things that He has created for me to enjoy and I make those life, essentially making myself God. I will take what God has made and I will be master over these things. And at that point, what, you've, what, you, what we do, what we do in, the, in that instant, is that we believe that God is not the source of life and that God is not the source of happiness. The book of Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, David's son, the richest man in the world, He pursued everything that he could pursue on this earth. And he said, you know what? What I have failed to see in my youth is that it is God who gives happiness. And he gives happiness to the poor and happiness to the rich around a few basic things. We have a work. And in that work, we find enjoyment. And in that work, we obtain the fruit of our labors, specifically food and drink. And we have family and friends to enjoy that food and drink with. He says, if you have those things, you can be happy. In the context of fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments. And he says, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, happiness comes from the Lord. So when we believe that material possessions are the means of happiness, we will slowly erode, or sometimes quickly erode, our experience of happiness. Because we are not honoring God or giving thanks to him for them. We are using them as our own gods. And we will do evil 
with what he has created, just like these men and women did on the mountain. So we are commanded to seek God, the author of life and source of happiness. So we have to believe. We have to believe. And this is why, again, it's a part of faith. Do we believe that God is the source of life? Do we believe that God is the source of happiness? And here's the beautiful thing about this passage. You know, if if I were to tell you, how would you go about, or if I were to ask you this question, how do you go about following God? How do you go about following God? Seeking after God. Well, Amos's formula is, I think, a little bit different than what most of us would say. He says, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gates. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gates. That's what it means to seek God. Now we would say, and these are, we would say, we've got to pray, we've got to study our Bibles, we've got to worship. Yeah, those things are obviously part of what it means to follow God. But let me propose this. What is evil? What is evil? I mean, Jose gave testimony today. Oftentimes we are deceived by what evil and good are. We read our Bibles and we pray and we fellowship partly so that we can learn what good is and we can learn what evil is and renew our minds and pursue those things. See, following God is a material thing. You go back prior to the printing press and the fact that we all have Bibles, okay, meditation on the, the Bible itself would be a very difficult thing to do since you didn't have it. And hopefully your house church group that you met in helped you memorize some key passages to meditate on the Word of God. But if that wasn't there, right, how would you express and follow God? It would have to be through the material things that God has blessed you with. You, you see and experience the eternal power and divine nature of God through what he has created and through what you are living in. Your home, the ground, the earth, the water, all right, where everything is dependent upon rain and harvest. All of these things. So we, we are in a material, do we see that God is in the material world and can we honor him and give thanks? That's where, that's where following God and worship begins. And we read our Bibles so that we can understand more of who this God is that gives us these material things that we are to respond to him in humility and gratitude with. What is evil? What is good? We are to turn our affections to love good. To love good is to turn our affections to those things that are good, worthy of honor, worthy of delight, of moral purity. These are things that our affections are to be drawn towards. And when we receive the words of the prophet or the word of God, in totality, we begin to see the things that are good and to establish justice then in the gates, which means that in public ways, okay, in our community, we are to pursue and seek after the doing of good, which is meeting the needs in this world, helping the poor and the needy. And that then fulfills the circle. And to believe in, in the gospel To believe in the gospel is the ultimate expression of worship because it is in the gospel that we we can really clearly see what is good and what is evil. And and Jesus conquered death. 
Okay, God is the giver of life and all good things. And Jesus conquers its most vicious enemy. So to follow Jesus is to follow in the fullness of life and the abundance of God's goodness that he provides. The corruption is going to be lifted off the earth, Romans 8 teaches. We're not just going to spend eternity in the kingdom of God, which is coming here to earth in a material way. Right? The earth itself is going to be released from its corruption. And it is going to be able to more abundantly provide and reflect what God intended for it. And so, so Jesus conquered the enemy of life. And Jesus then established life. Colossians chapter 1. All right? We're all encouraged to memorize. If you're in our house churches, you're encouraged to memorize Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23, I believe. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he created all things. And then he's the firstborn from the dead, the beginning of all things. And the establisher of life in his resurrection from the dead. So if, if, if we, the promise of the gospel, the promise of Jesus' resurrection is the promise of life. And Jesus established it. And so, again, it's all, all these things are wrapped up together. And we can't expect our life here and now to be the kingdom. All right? Yes, God gives good things for us to enjoy. That is Old Testament, New Testament teaching. And those are good things. Jesus said himself, as we looked at, looked at the passage last week in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, where the rich, the rich young ruler declined to follow Christ because he'd have to sell everything he had and, and give it to the poor. That was what he needed to overcome his idolatry. He had taken the things that God had created and turned them into his God. He needed to conquer his idolatry by giving it all away and giving it to the poor and following Christ, and he wouldn't do it. And then Peter says, we've given up everything. We've given up everything. And Jesus says, you will experience, I think, what does he say, a hundred times? A hundred times in this life and in the one to come. We're going to have suffering in this life. We still are called to enjoy with gratitude the things that God blesses us with. And that is a good thing. But we cannot expect the kingdom now. To expect the kingdom now is to start worshiping this world and the things of this world. And then the material world is going to offer life. And it doesn't. God is the, is the author of life and he offers life for us. And he, again, he is the one that gives us happiness. Happiness. He is the one. Happiness. And so to engage in this, in this cycle here, I, I'm, I'm arguing, promote, promoting, proposing, that's the better word. I'm proposing that this has to be a very, that, well, that this is at the, at the core of what it means for us to follow God. All right? Yes, you need to read your Bibles. Yes, you need to go and worship as a church. We're going to look at worship in one of these indictments because um, 
while they were seated on this mountain and enjoying all their luxury, it's not like they stopped going to church. They went to church. And, and they, they, it was a part of their oppression of the poor. And it was a part of their, their self-deception. See, we can take religion. We can take religion and miss everything. Speaking with a young man uh, this week. And, and he was talking about some family members. And evangelical, solid all right, we're not talking about like something outside of what we would consider faithful. All right, it is just as easy for evangelical Christians, okay, and I would say maybe even more easy because of the arrogance that seems to come along with where things are at at this point. Uh, very, we can become very religious. We can read our Bibles, we can go to our Bible studies, we can go to house church, we can come to worship, we can pay our tithes. We can give alms, all right? We, we can do a lot of things. And we maintain this arrogance. And, and, and we can create these lives that are completely distant from the troubles of the world. And we maintain this arrogant posture. How could anything bad ever happen to us? We are so good, and our goodness is reinforced by our material prosperity. They're just blind to all of the, the dynamics. And we can become that way in our religious practices. It becomes a part of our oppressive, ignorant system. And so I would say that this, that this cycle has got to be a part of how we understand walking with God. We read our Bibles, we worship Yes, we pray, yes. And all of these things are a part of this response as well. But everything that we have and all of who we are has, has come to us from the hand of God. And we should enjoy it with gratitude. And I, I spent all the sermon last week talking about if you can't enjoy it with gratitude, then you're not going to be able to generously share it with others. This has got to be what it... It part, a significant part and component of what it means to know and to seek God. Hate evil. Love good. Establish justice in the gates. Let me pray. Lord, Father, we uh, thank you for the images of indulgence that we see here so that we can use them to evaluate ourselves. God, we thank you for blessing us with many fine things. And in this country, we have many fine things to enjoy. And I pray, God, that you'd strengthen us to enjoy these things, but help us to be always aware of the, of the troubles that are in the world and of the, of the plight of the poor and of the needy so that we can be generous to them, that we could ultimately continue to receive and not be judged by you that we could continue to give glory to your name and to hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gates. In your son's name, amen.